Well, hello and welcome to the bright side here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. This is June 13th, and yes. uh, this is one of my favorite days of the year. <laughs> uh, today is uh, our mom, who, not our mom, she's your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be uh, weird. It, it, uh, um, uh, my mom uh, and my father's wife uh, does, does some research for the show so that we can tell you about what interesting day it is. And today, National Sewing Machine Day. Nash- and it's, it's, it's just coincidental, I suspect. Because you just bought a sewing machine. And you know what? I would love to say that that was like related and I had a passion for really having a personal story. No, I just bought a sewing machine. And I was proud of myself because I I was in Walmart and uh, saw sewing machines and I was with my two children, uh, ages eight and three. And I was like, Luke, who's eight, I was like, we really need a sewing machine, I feel like. And he said, this was six months ago. He said, uh, he's like, Dad, I think that's something that if you buy it, you'll regret it later. And I was like, oh, my, my wise eight-year-old son has uh, much better control over himself uh, than me. And, uh, but I took his advice, his sage advice. He's usually right about these, about these things, impulse purchases. And, but then for about six months, I was like, boy, I really... I need that sewing machine. I uh, I got so many projects I got to do. I got to sew things. <laughs> and what prompted you? Uh, and uh, and so finally, um, Lena has this shirt that we made on our Ohio vacation. We go to Ohio each year. Um, well, I'm not telling you that. Just <laughs> just the dozens of people listening. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, and so uh, she she made this shirt out of uh, with bubble paint stuff, and and she really liked it. But she got the smallest smallest shirt. But she's three, so she's smaller than the smallest shirt. It was a white, one of those white undershirts. And so she really likes wearing it. But I always felt really embarrassed, like self-conscious when we were in public when she was wearing it because it just looked like people would be like, this guy, look at this. He just <laughs> threw on an, an old artist <laughs> smock on his daughter. And, uh, and so I was like, I'm going to turn that shirt into a dress. And, uh, when I, and I was like, should I, should I look up uh, any tutorials? No, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> I can figure this out. Uh, this can't be complicated. Yeah. Turns out pretty complicated. Oh no. It is, it is challenging. It's still, I'm, I'm about two thirds of the way through it. How this do you point. measure a kid for a dress? Did um, you get a pattern or something? Nope. No, I just put the shirt on her and then used really, really ultra washable marker to kind of mark where her shoulders were, where her waist was. Uh, she moves a lot, so the marks aren't really clean. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, uh, I, I took a big, a lot of it's like skin graft surgery. So I had some experience with that stuff just from, just from school. Uh, and so I, uh, so I, I took the, uh, the, the graft site, uh, and, and, uh, and marked that out. And then, and I had to sew that back together. So the torso is a little bit more thin now, but the shirt's still. Did you in. use sutures? Like, uh, no, no, I, I, I didn't. I, I got a a really nice pink thread uh, okay. from farther down in the nice. sewing sewing machine aisle, and <laughs> and uh, and so I've got the. It, it's not. It doesn't look good. I'm not. I just, uh, I'm not going to paint gonna it better be than this. You're going to be more embarrassed than just throwing the yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah, because I think she really likes it because I did sew a tutu onto it. Oh, nice. Uh, and, oh, well, there you go. Uh, and pretty much uh, she picks what she wears based on whether there's a tutu to or not. Um, so I got a little bit more patching up to do, uh, but it made me have an appreciation for people who can sew really good. Uh, you know, your mom took home ec in school. Back when we were in school, they had home ec. And uh, the only bad grade your, your mom ever... Is this true? This is the truth. <laughs> the only bad grade she ever got. They all had a project that they had to make mm-hmm. themselves address. 
Um, and so she just did her very best, and she thought she'd done a pretty good job, and she got like a D on it. Oh, really? It scarred her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a real challenge. I, I thought it'd just be a thing. I thought it'd be like suturing. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No, there's a whole, there's a whole set... Fabric's weird because it bunches up and and uh, and you have to move along and keep everything in check and uh, half the time you you make a whole thing and you realize the thread's not even in the needle and then you just punch a bunch <laughs> of holes in it and it's really really challenging because uh, I I had uh, occasionally sutured things like where I did I actually uh-huh. just use suture and and uh-huh. uh, and like to you know hem something and and that that was easier but but this thing it's a it's a whole different it's a whole different animal. Um, but the sewing machine, uh, it, it is, uh, it's a lot better now than it was. Cause I think if I had one, I was reading about sewing machines because not just my personal love for sewing machines, but in honor of today, yes, of course, June 13th, national, Preparing. national you sewing prepare machine for June 13th. Yeah. And, uh, as I was just kind of doing myself, getting kind of my, my body and mind ready for sewing machine day, I was reading a little <laughs> bit and it was way harder back then. Uh, cause you had to, you had a, a treadle. Which is uh, the is that, you, that pedal? Yeah, oh. yeah where you're, and your your foot's doing that thing. Yeah, that was a creaking noise, <laughs> not like a bird. Um, and uh, and so and you had to you had to have that your your hands in sync with what your feet were doing. Uh, but now it's embarrassing to be as bad at it as I am right now. I'm going to get better. Uh, yes, but because there's there's so many you just put it you just put it on which pattern you want to. And I bought a cheap one because I I knew better than that. I was like I'm going to be really disappointed if I buy this fancy one. Because uh, then I won't have anything to blame it on. At least now I can be like, this thing's cheap. <laughs> this is That's right. Yeah. What do you expect? Yeah, but <laughs> this thing costs twenty five dollars. There's a there, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of patterns and stuff that that you can do. My oculoplastic surgery attending in residency, uh, a great man. Uh, I'll use his name because I'm saying this all in complimentary fashion. Doctor Chuck Slonum. Uh, it was uh, it was just out of the goodness of his own heart. He just wanted to ed- educate young minds. He he had zero need to help people in our residency program, uh, but he took call like for oculoplastic stuff, which is you know just basically uh, eyelids and eyebrows, everything wrong with you know anything wrong with eyelids and tear ducts and stuff. And so we spent a ton ton of time with him. But his his favorite saying, and he would rarely get through a surgery without saying to one of the residents, he would be, he would say because you'd say something like his tooth forceps aren't you know quite right or I feel like I need a 3-0 or a 5-0 needle. And he would be like, tis a poor carpenter who blames his tools. Uh, and, okay, yeah, and, you can't. And it has stuck with me. Yeah, yep. it really has. Yep. So I've tried not to blame the tools because the sewing machine, by all, by all accounts, Brother, I think that's the name of the company, they make a fine sewing machine. But it's really, really, really hard uh, to make a dress. How now, many, was, was Lena helping you with, uh, make the dress or was it? Uh, I, Luke, after Luke she helped went to bed. A, a little bit and uh, just so he could see how it worked. And then Lena, uh, she she wanted to like take part in it. And so I was like, sure, now look at this. I want to show you this. I, I think I overdid it because I was like, I want you to look, look real close. See this needle? Uh, nothing's on, but I, that's sharp. That's real. That's just real sharp. That'll get you. So you got to stay real far away from that. And then. So I put my hands on hers, like real far away from it, to like slowly move the cloth, uh, and then she was like, "Ah, oh, I'm scared!" And then she uh, dove off my lap. So I think it's a finished product. She'll really like yes, that. Yes, yes. How about you, Pop? How how often are you sewing? <laughs> you know, I can sew a button on a shirt. Um, I can't do that. I've, I've, I guess I've never, know, it's I've never not, tried. It's really, it's not a big contest. Uh, but yeah, I've done that. When when you're going through college, you don't 
you know, you don't have the money to buy new shirts and or take it even to the dry cleaner. You just Tell do me. what, you, I just do what you shirt, can. I went shirtless a third of the time. <laughs> and that's tough because you were in Indiana at yeah, the time. I was like, oh, it's tough and Jeff. I got the Native Americans. I'm ready. Uh, but I remember your mom, despite the fact that she got a low grade in home ec, mm-hmm. when we were first married, she wanted to surprise me. And and I bought her a, a sewing a sewing machine. Yeah, Did here it comes. Is this like a, here it comes. A, this a is a family story. Or something? This is a family story. <laughs> yep. Um, and so um, I, I just thought that you know, of course, she'll want to sew because that's what wives do. This is a, this is old misogyny, you know. And um, and so I bought her a sewing machine. So she thought, well, I need to sew then, and so I'm going to make him a gi. You know, a gi is a like a karate outfit. Um, really? Because I was taking karate at the time, uh, Were which, you? which, yeah, oh, which only, which only means I, I hurt my toe. Um, so she, she bought this, she bought uh, this like leopard type fur, <laughs> and uh, and and tried to fashion it uh, after, and it was. <laughs> Horrible. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, my gosh. Because even if that turns out right, you're just the pimp karate Wait, man. Exactly. <laughs> and if you walk out on the street, you don't you don't frighten anybody. They beat you up because you have a gear. Yeah, they'll be like, hey, where are your, where are your tall heels with the fish in them? <laughs> Where's your velour hat? <laughs> that is really, that's really funny. I did not, I had no idea. Oh, man. It was for a gear. Yeah. I was, in my head, it was always for like one of those like sophisticated like smoking jackets no. like Hugh Hefner always no, used to wear. I wish we would have kept it. That's uh, that's a lot different. Uh, you, and this this will seem, this is, seems like a tenuous connection, but it really is connected to our guest today um, who there's, it's only occasionally we have a guest that I'm excited enough to talk to that I'm like kind of mildly nervous. Uh, and, uh, and that is today because we have the president of Valencia College here. Uh, and he has been, he's humble about it, uh, but he's not talking so I can say it. Uh, he's been this driving force in making Valencia into this nationally impressive place that it is uh, for people who want to better themselves. Say you're terrible at sewing, but you have a dream, you know? <laughs> That's right. Where are you going to do right. that? Right. Valencia's got Valencia. the answer, along with yeah. along with a million others. Uh, so we're going to go to break now, but when we come back, we're going to talk to him. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. Well, welcome back to The Bright Side here on News Radio 102.5 WFLA. Uh, today we have a guest with us that I am, uh, I'm super excited. I, I always am excited for our guests. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm just going to say it sometimes more than others. Today <laughs> is one where I'm, uh, and it's mostly cause it's stuff I have no idea about, you know? And so I, but it's, I'm interested to learn. I want to learn. Um, but today, uh, we have Dr. Sandy Sugard here and, and he, uh, is the president of Valencia college. Uh, if you've lived in Orlando for any amount of time, uh, you're aware of Valencia's presence, uh, partially because it continues to uh, uh, become um, more and more prominent uh, in what it's doing locally and in what it's doing nationally. And a lot of that is uh, because of because of your leadership. Thank you for being here today. It's, it's really a pleasure. Really, really nice. So you got to Valencia in, in 2000. Is that right? January 2000. <laughs> and um, and so you're you're you're. Doctorate I was reading was you know, you uh, from UNC in Chapel Hill right um, Go Heels that's right <laughs> uh, I interviewed there for residency and it was and I I uh, I was like I want to be here just because this is so beautiful it was such a beautiful place it was really uh, it was really neat um, anyway so you uh, so you you have your your doctorate is in 
it sounded like basically what you're doing, which is just education and, and teaching and stuff. Um, people would say uh, that you, what you do at Valencia that is working without a doubt, uh, it, it, it's mildly unconventional, you know, the it, different metrics that you're looking at. And, and uh, um, did you come in with a preset plan of like, all right, here's my five things I'm going to do, or, or is it something that's kind of happened organically as it's grown? How, how does that work? Well, I think I came to Valencia 18 years ago because they were asking the same questions I was asking. Mm. Uh, so about that time, the turn of the century, the millennium, really, um, America had awakened to the fact that we had this enormous and amazing tool at hand called the American Community College, uh, which no other country has, and that oh, has this that. immense potential for creating opportunity and for making America's promise real to all sorts of people if only they got better results academically. Mm. And uh, so the graduation rates were historically not very high. And uh, uh, so a lot of people came and went, uh, they were transient students and so on. And many of us believed we could do a lot better. We knew our students could do better mm -hmm. if we began to focus less on volume and more on quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that serving the whole community is not important, but uh, if they don't graduate, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And Valencia was asking those questions at the same time I was. We were, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ahead of the rest of the country in asking those questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, Valencia was coming to the same conclusions I was. And that is, if students, our students can learn, they can learn deeply, that genius is distributed in every zip code in every neighborhood. Opportunity hasn't been, but genius is. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's nothing we teach that can't be learned by virtually everyone who crosses our threshold. Yeah, and figuring out how to create, make that opportunity real for every student, and in that process, get extraordinarily improved results at the point of graduation and so on was, was uh, that was the common conversation that I was having with Valencia. So, I felt like we were made for each other, and uh, I've learned more than I've taught, and you know, <laughs> I get credit for a lot of things other people did. You know, one of the things I, I that fascinates me <clears throat> about what you're doing, um, Sandy, is that. Um, First of all, it's a huge enterprise, 70,000 students. Um, and, but the, the students, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a classical assumption in, the, is, in that if you go to a four-year college and you get a degree in art history, then you're going to have a job. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and many people who majored in philosophy and psychology and, and art history are finding that difficult, even, even though they got good grades. Um, but, but, but the community colleges, these, these gems of the community, um, <clears throat> both accept and train and see, uh, potential in those who wouldn't fit in a four-year curriculum. Um, and, and one of the phrases that I read was you train to the employer. In other words, you you there's an orientation toward, will this improve your work life? Uh, what, what, can you elevate and excel in the kind of work you want to do? Mm. Tell us about that. Well, we serve the whole spectrum of students. I mean, they come from every neighborhood, every socioeconomic condition. Uh, they have all sorts of aspirations, and many just don't know who they want to be when they grow up. And mm. I relate to them because I'm still not sure about <laughs> me. Um, but uh, about uh, 60,000 of those students are pursuing some kind of college degree with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, a little more than half of them know that they want to earn a bachelor's degree, and so they're in a transfer curriculum. And that's 
your basic general education aimed towards probably a major in business or life sciences or engineering technology, something like that. Uh, and, and they follow a, a certain path. And most of them take very close to the same courses. That's, that's your freshman and sophomore year at any university. Uh, another 40% or so are enrolled in associative science programs. And those are designed to make you employment ready with 60 credit hours, which if you're attending full-time is two years. Uh-huh. Um, not, not everybody does it. About half attend full, a little less than half attend full-time. The others are part-time and they're working and doing other things. But those are finely tuned to the demands of the workplace so that they're work ready when they, when they hit the floor. So that would be things like nursing. We're the largest producer of nurses in the region and at both the associate's degree and now we've, we're doing Bachelor of Science in Nursing completion programs, allied health programs, uh, engineering technologies, information technology, paralegal, all, all sorts of, uh, there are over 100 of these degree programs that, that are designed to meet the needs of the employer and the employee. So mm-hmm. the employee can advance and the employer wants to keep them on. And then there's a th- one more niche, uh, Joel, and that's uh, uh, we have an, uh, an unusual economy in Central Florida. Um, what makes us great also has a soft underbelly. Mm-hmm. So uh, we love our, our tourism industry, uh, but there tends to be a fair number of people who are underemployed, and they get stuck in that underemployment. So the rest of our programming is aimed really at them. Mm-hmm. And the idea is in a very short time, we'll give you skills that will move you up two or three rungs on the ladder. Yeah. Maybe not up a body length, but two or three rungs. And yeah. come back and we'll do it again. And come yeah. back and we'll do it again. And they'll have a sustainable living life. I, thought, I yeah. thought that was such an interesting anecdote that I read. To, it was today I read it um, about the the guy that was working at Universal uh, and and was just, you know, doing the regular. I don't know. I know at Disney they're called cast members. I don't know what Universal they're called. Um, Harry Potter's or something. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, But he... Then you got that really impressive sounding uh, degree uh, in laser photonics or something like that uh, and came back and, and he's doing the all of the optics laser stuff for the Harry Potter thing at the same place. You know, it's this, it's what you're wow. talking about is this, there's, there's an upward mobility. I mean, there's, you get an education in something and it gives you upward mobility to the next rung on the ladder. And, and it, and that's not an issue of, of a lot of times whether people, uh, have uh, money or, or even uh, whether they have motivation, that stuff uh, can be, can be uh, either motivations there, money can be figured out, but it's, it's, do they have access to it, you know? And, and mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it looks like, you know, through this that people do, would you say that it, it's more, is it, is it kind of, these are, these are equal, <clears throat> equal pathways that, you know, both are, are kind of equal importance uh, of being the first two years to go to uh, a four year uh, you know, to finish up at UCF or something like that. Uh, what's that thing? What's the thing called? The Direct Connect. Direct Connect. Yeah. Um, uh, is that the main focus, or is these a hundred programs is a lot of these different you know associated science? Uh, is that the main focus? Is it just those are kind of equal and parallel courses? Yes. The, the answer is yes to all those things. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Valencia is enormous in part because in this community there's no one else to do the job. Mm. So uh, it, you know. Places that were settled much earlier uh, than Central Florida was uh, had a boom of colleges, mostly little church colleges and, mm-hmm. and uh, teachers' schools that were later turned into regional universities. We were settled so late that we missed that boom. So anywhere else in the country with you know a couple of million people would have 30 or 40 colleges to serve it. We basically have UCF, Valencia, Seminole, 
um, uh, Rollins and Stetson. And All thanks mm-hmm. to tons of swamps and mosquitoes. That's right. And, <laughs> right. and lack of air conditioning. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, so we're in a position, and UCF and Seminole are in this position too, where we really can't afford to say no to anything the community really needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all those things are important. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, I mean, the kind of <clears throat> dynamic relationship with uh, needs in the community and then stepping in to say, yeah, we can help fill that need. I mean, the nursing one is a really great example. Um, I loved the, I mean, I feel like I feel like you could write a book called The Art of the Deal 2 Uh <laughs> dealier. Uh, and it, when you were talking to the the guy, I think it was Florida health or something where, where you were saying you need this many nurses and, you know, is that, is that worth, you know, supplementing? And, and I think it was a million dollars or something like that to, <laughs> to get these many, this many nurses. I did not know that, that Valencia is the, the what, I don't know how you'd say that greatest producer of, uh, we're the, the largest, largest producer of registered nurses in the region. And, uh, but we do a lot of things like that. I, I think the, uh, you know, the value proposition to the community says we're not a destination. Valencia is not a destination. No mm-hmm. college or university is a destination. Mm-hmm. Many think of themselves as destinations. Mm-hmm. If you get here, your life will be good. We're a bridge. Mm-hmm. So wherever our students need to go and want to go in their lives, that's our job is to get them there. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, people shouldn't wake up in the morning and say, if I could just get admitted to X college or just earn a degree from Y university, my life would be complete. You're just crossing a bridge. And so we focused on being the best bridge in the world. If we can be the best bridge, then we'll get our students where they need to be. And their stories become our story. I love that. Um, Well, we have to go to break now, but when we get back, uh, what I want to talk about is a little bit more of the idea of college as as a bridge rather than a destination. Welcome back to The Bright Side here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. That is a call sign thing that I meant to say at least twice at different points in the program and missed each time. So I'm going to try to remember this time to say it halfway through so that Tom, our producer, will be proud. <laughs> uh, today we have with us uh, Dr. Sandy Sugar, who is the president of uh, Valencia College. And uh, Valencia, for those of you that don't know, uh, is uh, gigantic and uh, nationally recognized uh, for what it's doing. It's, it's kind of uh, taken a, a novel approach uh, to what can be the, the, the tremendous uh, gift that a community college can be to a community and to the, really the nation. Um, we were talking before the break about this idea of uh, college as a destination or college as a, as a, as a bridge, as a gateway, um, because one of the things I thought was interesting as I was, as I was reading through some of your stuff is um, this traditional idea of you kind of pack it up, you go to this place for four years, you live there, there's, you know, Greek life and p- parties and you, you have, you know, your, I don't know, my college kind of stunk. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what people do. <laughs> if you, if you play, play ball in the yard. Uh, and, uh, and, but that that's not really necessarily true. Uh, and, and kind of the recognition of that fact that that's not the majority of people's college experience at all. And uh, what, what, what are you, what are what are the stats on that? I mean, how does that affect what sure. you guys are doing at Valencia? So I haven't looked for the last a couple of years, but two years ago I did. And um, so the percentage of students who went to college in the traditional way that I did. So I, I went away from home to go to college. I, I went there and attended full time, more or less. Um, if I worked, and I did, I worked half time or less. I lived on or near campus. 
Um, you know, my, and, and college was my main thing. That's what I did. That now represents 17% of American undergraduates. Wow. That's 0.17. Wow. Um, and, and so it's still important. It's still a significant uh, experience for many young people. But it's not the way most of America goes to college. And it's not the way most of Central Florida does either. Mm-hmm. So in, in Central Florida, let's say just take Orange and Osceola counties, the two that Valencia serves, um, of the students who graduate and go on within a year to any college or university of that group, uh, two out of three come to Valencia. Mm. One wow. in six goes to some state university, and one in six does something else, mm-hmm. uh, an independent college, a tech center, uh, uh, or tech college, or uh, you know, an apprenticeship, something. So it's a two-thirds market share, if you want to think of it that way. So it's the dominant mode of access to higher education now because it's convenient, inexpensive, designed to, to be usable, and it involves very personalized instruction. So mm. you come to Valencia, which is enormous, you're never in an enormous class. Their yeah. class sizes are 24, mm. 25, wow. in some cases a little less than that. Uh, so our scale isn't foisted on the freshmen uh, in you know lecture sections of a thousand and all yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think people choose that now as a more personal experience. Yeah. When you when you take a look at the trajectory of um, college training um, and education, um, we all know that the job market is training. Um, we're transforming uh, from manufacturing to service to knowledge-based industries. Uh, what do you see for the future? Mm. Well, I think it's less linear than people assume. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm, I haven't given up on manufacturing. I think mm-hmm. high-value manufacturing is still ours. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the numbers, the, um, uh, the, the economic value of manufacturing in America hasn't gone down. The employment has through automation. Yeah. And that's really the theme. Mm-hmm. So automation hit the, um, the areas of manufacturing and agriculture early, especially agriculture early. Yeah. And now automation's making its way in artificial intelligence into every other kind of work that can either be made routine or algorithmized. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see a lot of jobs disrupted that, that are knowledge work. Um, even now, if you're paying attention to the advertisements, you'll notice that there's a lot of, a, a lot of pressure uh, for investment companies like the Charles Schwabs mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. to create online trading vehicles that cut out the middleman. Well, mm-hmm. that's all, all that trading is done by algorithm. Mm-hmm. All the, advan- the uh, um, advice you'll get now from a person, you know, that can be decanted into software. Yeah. So you're going to see a lot of that disruption. But I think uh, what we're learning from that is that the workforce has to be nimble, they have to be able to think and they have to be able to learn again and again and again. The skill sets will roll. They'll change and evolve. And the people who will thrive are the ones who can, who can dance with all yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's a lovely book on leadership. You may have read it years ago uh, uh, by a guy named Peter Vale. And Peter uses an analogy in there uh, that I, that's visually uh, grabbing to me because I saw this happen at the same place. He was in Vale, Colorado. No connection to his name. Mm. And there's a, a lovely stream that runs right down the middle of Vail, Colorado. Mm. And while he was having wine and dinner out on the grass next to this, these two guys with those little short kayaks come out. You know, you think of shooting the rapids. Well, these guys face uphill 
into the stream, and for hours they dance with the whitewater. Oh. And Peter described the work of a leader as as permanent whitewater and learning to dance with the, the turbulence that you have all that. There's no still water anymore. Mm. Well, that's going to be true of everybody's life in mm-hmm. the 21st century. Yeah. And in our employment lives as well. So what you think makes you secure today may have to be surrendered tomorrow for some other new set of skills and habits. And um, so I think I think the great thing about about education is that it's not designed for one age. You yeah. can do this over and over again. If we do our jobs well, you might not even need us to learn the next thing you need to do. Hmm. That uh, one of the things that and let me ask follow up here because I was telling you during the break that one of the things that uh, that I love about what uh, Valencia does is that it deals with a certain portion of the population that I also deal with when it comes to homelessness, um, and that is uh, people who have um, minimum wage jobs. They're hard workers, but they just can't earn enough to support their family, keep a roof over the head, and 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 the the slightest bump. Um, the slightest, you know, car breakdown or or momentary sickness can throw them into unemployment and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And so, um, I know that there are people who are listening who say, "Man, I wish I could, you know, get to the next. I get just just get enough training to get me in a position for advancement in any company um, because I don't want to just, you know, spend the rest of my life doing a minimum wage job." Because my family needs more than that. And I think I can do more than that, but I can't picture myself going back to college. Yeah. What do you say to somebody like that? There are opportunities for these people, but but we've had to think differently about how we equip them to take advantage of them. So it's an interesting time in, in our local and, and national history in that we have uh, very low unemployment and we have high job vacancies. So, mm. you know, the, the long-term curve on employment is is really terrible shortages of skilled people mm. because the baby boomers, my generation, are retiring out mm-hmm. and, and I don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing things I wouldn't do. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, but anyway, they're, they're retiring out. And so we have deep shortages uh, of, of skilled laborers and skilled craftsmen and all sorts of parts of the economy. So we noticed it first here in construction. When construction rebounded after the, um, the recession, there were no workers. And so both the time to deliver projects and the cost of projects was running up on highways, buildings, all the things they build, because they didn't have the labor. They didn't mm. have skilled people to do the, the various trades. Mm. And you can't train those people in the old-fashioned ways anymore, a, a seven-year apprenticeship or, yeah. or a three-and-a-half-year part-time yeah. college education, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the opportunity cost to them, since they're already working, is too high. Yeah. So we've redesigned programs so that we unbundled the skills into shorter packages. And you can get a certificate, two or three certificates sometimes, in a matter of a few weeks. Wow. Hmm. And when you've got the certificates, you get hired almost wow, immediately. Wow, that's awesome. And they're designed to take people who maybe are making $9, $10 an hour, parking cars, cleaning rooms, whatever they may be doing, and giving them enough skills so that they can go to $13, $50, or $14 an hour in a full-time job with benefits. Wow. That's and then they can awesome. come back to us later and do another three weeks, yeah. a new package of skills, maybe go from 13 or $14 to 17 or $18. Do people just call the college and say, what, what's the menu of possibilities do you guys have? Yes. It's called the uh, Accelerated Skills Training, okay. AST, and it's offered throughout the college district. And 
Uh, there's it's expensive in some ways. The tuition's high, but there's usually tuition help. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like uh, Career Source Florida and others have been yeah. wonderful in helping to support. Them. All these are VA approved. If you're a veteran, it's all covered. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we've now done I think more than 1,700 of these credentials in areas like construction and manufacturing and welding and and everybody gets employed. That's everybody. awesome, man. Uh, Jeez, I just, I, I didn't know any of that. I, I, I can think of two or three people that I'm going to tell about that tonight. Um, uh, we have to go to a break, uh, and then this next segment is our last one. So we're going to come back, and we're going to finish up with all the stuff we haven't covered yet. Welcome back to The Bright Side on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Those are letters and numbers that I forgot to say halfway through. <laughs> last this segment. is like confession. <laughs> Every segment is like confession. So today we have with us uh, Dr. Sandy Sugard, who uh, is single-handedly saving the hearts and minds <laughs> of Central Florida. It's about time. Yeah, sometimes somebody did. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's really, sometimes we say that and it's an exaggeration, but I feel like it's it's only slightly so here. So before we went to the break, we were talking about these these ASTs, accelerated skills. Skills training. Tra- skills training. Um, and, and you were saying it, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks, uh, the one we were talking about over the break, nine weeks to a bulldozer driver, uh, yes. which... Uh, uh, that sounds uh, sounds like a book title, actually, uh, or a movie, <laughs> a very exciting movie. Um, so what does that look like for, uh, just so that anyone that's listening to this um, can can get an idea, um, is that something where they've got to have X, Y, and Z in line before they can do it, and, and hey, give us your last three years of taxes, and uh, what... What's it really look like? I know that's kind of a softball question, but also I don't really know what it, like what you need to have in order to to make that step. It's pretty simple. Uh, because you're not being admitted to the college, you're being trained in a, in a program the college offers, but you're not being admitted to the college. Mm. So none of that application admissions process, financial aid process, all that sort of stuff is is really germane to this. It's basically, and you don't even have to have a high school diploma for most of them. So, really? Wow. So uh, if you're... If you're hardworking and you aspire to more, there's probably a program for you in, in transportation and logistics and construction and manufacturing and uh, electronic board assembly. and I mean, it's any number of these, heavy equipment operation. And they're designed to move you a couple of rungs. Hmm. So a slow and steady progress to a sustainable family wage. So, and that would be the, you know, these two kind of parallel uh, they're not even, they're not competing with each other. They're just, you're a bit, you're, you're a man who's doing a lot of things, but there's two parallel uh, paths that, uh, you know, and goals that Valencia is accomplishing. One is this direct connect thing where it's like, Hey, be- before you go spend a bajillion dollars and you don't even know what you want to do. And, and uh, you know, you're, you you do not want to sit in a class with a thousand other students come here for the first two years and you've got a direct guaranteed admission. Um, by the way, that must've, was that, how was negotiating at? I mean, how did that, did everybody just kind of meet in the same room and said, Hey, we all have the same goals here. Uh, did you, did you, uh, I don't know, send them cards? What, what, how's that, how's that work? (laughs) Or did they send you cards? Well, we're very fortunate in central Florida to have leaders of our education systems who are in their roles for a long time and have always had a deep concern for the community ahead of the institution. Mm. And John Hitt's always been one of them. Mm. And, uh, We'll miss John. I, I, I love his replacement too, Dale Whitaker, who's been his provost, is a good friend. But uh, John was um, uh, as concerned as anyone as UCF became more and more selective for admission. He was concerned about the access issues, who gets to go to college. 
And uh, so he and I kind of put our heads together and came up with Direct Connect. He probably should get more credit than I, <laughs> and um, worked out the guarantee and understood that that our graduates perform very, very well after they transfer, and uh, and they add greatly to the diversity of the UCF graduate mm-hmm. class. So a fourth of the graduates at UCF just about are, are Valencia transfer students. Oh, how about that? It's just a, we've been joined really? at the hip forever. That is fascinating. Yeah. I did not, I did not know that. So I'd, I'd give John the lion's share of the credit for having the vision to, to have both a selective university and one that's highly accessible through a partnership. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, one of the things that I was, uh, I was reading about was that there's a, there's a, there's almost a bottleneck uh, to make it through. It was, it was these, uh, the, the, 15 to 20 gateway courses, you know, that make up the majority of the first year. And, and that, that really is this bottleneck. It, it, if you can get people through that, then the majority will go on to succeed and to graduate. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so you had put certain steps in place. I, I read something I, that I didn't, I couldn't understand really clearly about just if someone's signing up late for a class, then, then the, <laughs> they, they weren't early enough. And so oh, how's yeah, it? How's there are a thousand things that were done at the <laughs> college over uh, the last 15 years or so, 18 years, to um, align our practice to what we know is good for students' learning. Mm-hmm. Um, most institutions do things that are in their own interest, even at the expense of their mission sometimes. And colleges and universities are no different than anybody else. So I, I would say we, at a 50,000-foot view, Joel, what we did was um, – try to practice what we knew was good for learning, mm. number one. And number two, try to practice what we knew was good for human beings. Mm. So uh, the great challenge of the 21st century in developed countries like America is an institutional challenge. And uh, we've turned over the mediation of almost every kind of human service from our families and friends and neighbors to big institutions. Mm-hmm. And those big institutions yeah. over time behave in ways that can be wonderful and awful. Well, I thought that was, it was so fascinating because to read about what has changed at Valencia from, yeah. from my days there in the, in the late nineties, uh, was everything was about the culture and the, and, and the kind of the unified mind and spirit and, and the mantra that everybody believes in that, that is that right there. Everyone who is, yes. everyone who is around you is, breathes that ether and they all have that same mindset of, this is about what's going to make learning uh, the the easiest, and what's going to foster education. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's about what you care about: fertility and fecundity of the. You know, I thought. Uh, by the way, anyone who uses fecundity, which this is you, uh, in just casual conversation, yeah, instant, man, you gotta give that's a props. lot of street cred. You gotta <laughs> give them props, right there. Yeah. For that Benefits right there. of a liberal education. So, <laughs> so we, <laughs> that's right. Um, so we only have uh, a little, about a minute and a half left, but. If, if you could briefly just uh, say kind of over the next five, 10, pick your scope uh, years, what, what is it that you're hoping for, for the, for the community and for Valencia and just kind of the future? Our big challenge is to continue to have that kind of culture that, that puts the students at the center, that's person-centered and mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. Uh, at greater and greater scale and across more and more locations. So mm-hmm. scale and distribution are a huge challenge for us. And to maintain what you just referred to, what's we don't agree about everything at the college, but we agree on one thing, and that's our purpose. Mm. Who are we here to serve, and, and what does that service look like? And when you agree on purpose, you can disagree on a lot of other things yeah. and still be really good partners. Yeah, right. and that, that is, that's accurate. And I think that's what 
stuck out so much is that when you be when you become so large, uh, it's it's so easy to become institutionalized that the purpose is the survival of the institution right. rather than the than the fostering and helping of those who it's there to right. help and right. and to be so purposeful on that, you know, and, and that stuff all comes from the top down, and it just that's and, that's what and, you've done. And that mission you just described, keeping the institution true to its its deepest purposes, is what servant leadership's really all about. Yeah. People talk about the characteristics of servant leaders, you know, nice people. But the core of servant leadership is the willingness to step into institutions and do dangerous work that says, I'm not going to let you do this to the people we're designed to serve. I love that. And 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 the idea that servant leadership, it's much, it's much more about the service uh, than the leadership part. You know, absolutely. Uh, you're, you, that you are, a, you're a servant and think of yourself that way more than a, I'm the leader, you know, follow, follow me where I'm going. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Thank this you, was fascinating. Sandy. Thank awesome you so much. Stuff. And to you out there for listening, thank you so much. Uh, we will catch you next time here on The Bright Side. Yeah.